so much of this world weighs on us especially with me and sometimes it feels like you have to take on the weight of the world and I, honestly we, we can hate having me in this this illness but there is a real perspective you can gain from it i just appreciate life so much more i never appreciated my health until it was gone you know Welcome to the Silent Elephant Project podcast, where we have conversations with everyday people living with life-limiting health conditions. We're not claiming to be specialists, but we are offering a therapeutic space to build dialogue around marginalised health themes, giving you the opportunity to listen in. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello once again. Welcome to another episode of Getting to Know Emmy series on the Silent Elephant Project podcast. In this series, we are always sharing stories from people living with ME, myalgic encephalomyelitis, also known as chronic fatigue syndrome or CFS. So in short, ME CFS. Today's episode, I'll be chatting with Possum, also known as Emma, and she's all the way from New Zealand. She shares her life growing up and passion for gaming living with long-term conditions and her diagnosis journey of ME-CFS. It was very revealing and more than anything else, I'm excited that you're tuning in and hope you enjoy and learn something about today's episode. Okay, so hi, I'm Parsim. I'm 29 and from New Zealand and I've had ME for 13 years now. I got sick when I was 16, but I was always a sick kid. But I had a bunch of shit happen <laughs> in, in my teenage years, and for me, ME became a very slow, gradual inevitability. Um, and so I left school, like um, I went to Polytechnic, I was doing network engineering, I failed math. It's kind of essential. <laughs> that's, that's how I knew my brain was going. And so I left in 2012, and since then I have been a glorified house cat. Well, uh, I get fed, <laughs> I get watered. <laughs> my boyfriend is wonderful. And so my hobbies, I am a big crafter. Um, I, at the moment I do a lot of cross stitch. Um, I'm hoping to get into embroidery, but I also have supplies for resin for when I finally feel like doing something with it. But yeah, mostly just cross stitch and playing MMOs. <laughs> That, that's that's what I tend to do and you know obviously I've got a partner so I'm also an emotional support for him and yeah that's really about it oh and I'm, I'm a cat mother <laughs> I have a very very naughty child her name is Molly and she's about eight and a half she is a torty so uh, it's, she is really it's amazing naughty. even how we connected obviously um, we connected on reddit uh, the one social media platform. I don't know if you could really call it that. I'm very fond of because I found it that, you know, <laughs> you get to connect with uh, different people very quickly from around the world. And yeah, you know, some people are lurkers. I used to be a lurker, but now I'm very active um, as I connect with different people with not just lived health experiences, but just general interests as well. So in terms of where you are at the moment, would you like to share more on your diagnosis story and, you know, um, how Emmy has impacted you. I, I did want to say that um, 
you were talking about Reddit, and I've actually found uh, Twitter is also an amazing uh, resource for community interaction. The ME community has really grown on Twitter, so I highly recommend it, even though, you know, the internet is full of hell sites, um, and (laughs) Twitter is one of them. Uh, As long as you use the block function and mute things. Oh, and and block the, the psychological twits. Yeah, you know those ones, the the, the ones that stop the nice guy. <laughs> Block them. Highly recommend it. Very satisfying. So my diagnostic story is a nightmare. I did not have a diagnosis for twelve years. I only got my diagnosis last year in April, so I've really only been officially diagnosed for a year. In New Zealand, we have very, very, very few doctors. Um, in fact, the best person in New Zealand to see clinically is a GP. Unfortunately, she has now retired because, you know, she's like 82 or something. But yes, yeah, so I talked to her for an hour and I was like, look, I've got, I've got, because we call it chronic fatigue syndrome here because we're so backwards. Okay. I was like, look, I've got MECFS. She's like, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And how old were you when uh, you got officially diagnosed? 28. <laughs> this is last year. Okay. okay. So I'd been sick a very long time without actually having any sort of official diagnosis. And I clicked on that this was t- MECFS in 2018, which is hilarious because I started showing signs and symptoms in 2011. I had symptoms before. But they were getting to a point where it was starting to impact my schooling and I was failing classes and I wasn't going to class because I was asleep. I was falling asleep in my lectures. I have a strong memory of being prodded awake by one of my classmates in the lecture hall because it was eight in the morning and I was snoring. Wow. I got a full night's sleep. So, you know, it was very concerning to me just how much I was sleeping. So I actually went to my childhood doctor because I was still seeing him. I was like, I think I have chronic fatigue syndrome. He's like, no, you don't. You have sleep apnea. And I'm just like, great, great. Yep, this is going swimmingly. Yeah, so I feel sort of vindicated that it was MECFS all along, but still kind of annoyed and traumatized by it. (laughs) When I recall my own like journey, obviously I'm just going to touch on briefly. Uh, It took about 12 months for them to diagnose that it was ME. Mm -hmm. But then... For me, obviously, for you, it was 12 years. For me, it was 12 months. And during that 12 months, it was hell because, you know, you're you're struggling day to day. You know, it's life-limiting. You're disconnected. You're no longer the normal able-bodied person. And, you know, being, being housebound in itself was very, very hard for me. Well, at the time, actually, I was bed-bound initially and then housebound. But, yeah, during going through all those different processes, meeting different specialists and everything else, yeah, it was quite a, an exhausting journey to use the word exhaustion but yeah thinking of how long it's taken you i mean it's credit to you that you're still here and uh, still managing um given all those years there have been times when i haven't been here quite plainly um which is why i'm now on a mood stabilizer but it also helped me get another diagnosis uh, of borderline personality disorder so. oh wow that, that really complicates things. My mental health is a bit of a nightmare, but uh, lots of therapy and lots of meds, and I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, so something about the UK that we don't have here is that you actually have dedicated clinics, even though, you know, they were hellholes, you could still access a diagnosis. 
a lot faster than here. We have no support here whatsoever. You will not find doctors here who know anything about it other than, oh, uh, lose weight and exercise. That's how you treat chronic fatigue syndrome. That's, that's what you get told. So that's why it took me such a long time to get a diagnosis because doctors would go down avenues of, oh, did I have bipolar? Oh, is my hypothyroidism causing the issues? And all that time, and of course, things just move so slowly because <laughs> you understand all too well the joys of public health systems. The wait lists are just astronomical. Um, and of course, we have no specialists here, so that's why it took so long to get a diagnosis. And also, it was very expensive to see the doctor uh, that I did see. But to be honest, I only did that and got the official diagnosis because uh, I'm not actually supported by the government because mm. my partner earns too much money. So I don't have any financial support or stability, whatever. I'm entirely reliant on my partner. So I needed the diagnosis in my paperwork so I could actually, if I ever had to, wow go to work and income which is our uh, benefits uh, branch of the government and you know have the evidence there that I am sick I cannot work for the love of God do not put me on job seeker <laughs> put me straight on disability <laughs> yeah so that's that's really one of the biggest driving forces behind me actually having to seek out specialists quote unquote just just because I'm it's such a perilous place to be in yeah. So, you know, speaking of you still pushing on and seeking out specialists and then thinking about the, the gravity of having ME and obviously uh, with the other diagnosis you've got, how do you manage, you know, your, first and foremost, your symptoms and which symptoms you experience the most? Because I know it varies. I actually have a lot of diagnoses. My immune system is quite broken. <laughs> so I've got loads of autoimmune disease. And there's all kinds of stuff going on me. I am. <laughs> I made a Google Doc that's got the list of all my diagnoses and what medications I'm on. <laughs> because doctors will ask me. Oh, wow. They're like, can you write down all your medication? And I'm like, I don't know how to spell yeah. half of these. <laughs> so you just take the printout? Yeah. Well, I have everything. I meet every single diagnostic criteria. The only thing I don't meet in most of them is... I don't actually know if I'm more susceptible to getting normal person sick um, because I don't leave the house <laughs> and my partner doesn't leave the house mm. so we uh, do not get sick very often um, so in terms of so given the fact that you know um, would you say you're housebound oh yeah, yeah. Um, I can leave maybe once every two weeks or every three weeks Right now, I'm trying to not leave at all because COVID has done a real number on just from the stress of the world. Yeah. I went from moderate severe, so or severely moderate, into full on severe over the course of the last two years. Wow. I did have my gallbladder out just before COVID hit, so that did not help. Yeah, it makes it much more difficult. And I mean, given to just like uh, what's happened to you this week, I don't know if you don't mind sharing, but you know, the fact that you getting your tooth removed, it knocked you out. And um, that's why we have 
just about having a conversation today after you had a good sleep? Uh, yeah, fun fact, they didn't give me any strong painkillers for it. So I got home within an hour and I was in tears. The pain was a 10 out of 10. Wow. So I was like, fuck. So I had to break into my, my tramadol stash. Chronic pain people understand. Yeah. So, you know, like reflecting on um, how you manage yourself, mm. right? And the things that you, and given the fact that you are housebound. Um, how does your average day go? It doesn't. <laughs> I don't have an average day. Um, every day is different. Um, I go with the flow. I do not force myself into routines. I do not have a schedule. I listen to my body. That is my primary form of coping. Um, so just lots of pacing. And if I'm tired, I will go have a nap. If I, if I feel like I could be vertical again, I will get up. I just I just listen to myself because I've done the whole sleep hygiene thing where it's like you're in bed from this time to this time, no screens, none of that works. It's all bullshit. Um, and uh, sometimes I will make myself um, stay up a little bit longer, but normally that's because I'm like playing games with my partner or I, I feel like having a little bit more, you know, awake time during the day because... Um, I naturally default into like a non 24 hour cycle. So I'm awake during the night. Like right now, pretty much. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> for you, for you, it's uh, what time is it again right now? So 3 a.m. 3 a.m. for me, as I speak, it's 4 p.m. in the UK. So it's, yeah, it's pretty weird. You are, you are in Friday. I'm still in yep. Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> it's always funny in the new year because people are like, How, how's, how's, you know, like 2020 looking? And I'll be like, Oh, looks the same as any other year. Next minute. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I just do a lot of pacing and because, you know, I craft and all that. So I sit at my desk. Mm -hmm. I've got a PC and I've got all my craft stuff around me and I've got my cat and I've got my nail polish because I'm big on nail polish. All my meds and drugs and I've got okay. books and all kinds of stuff around me. Um, and I live, I live in this corner. Okay, okay. I'm curious. So, what does crafting do to you? Even gaming as well, because you share that you know, you you play games with your partner as well. Like, how do you find do you find that it's beneficial? Do you know what I mean? Like, what's your experience of doing those activities? If I lost the ability to craft, I think it might kill me. I might have ADHD as well. So, <laughs> I hate being still. I'm always okay. doing something with my hands. So cross stitch is amazing because I can have it in my lap and I can just be, you know, stitching away to my heart's content while I'm watching a YouTube video or an audiobook or I'm in the queue in Final Fantasy or something. Um, I, I just I just sit there and I can just, you know, get this energy out in a way that doesn't harm me. Because obviously we can't exercise, but I still like to move. I actually ended up sort of getting myself in 2018. That was part of uh, what sort of helped me clue onto the fact it was in me all along because I'd started going to the gym and I loved it. I loved moving and then it just got harder and harder and harder to keep going on. And then I was like, fuck, this is in me. So just, just being able to craft and move really helps my mental health. And I love creating things. I'm a big creator. I make gifts on Tumblr um, for various fandoms and all kinds of things. Good. 
I'm a big Trekkie okay. as well, so I make a lot of Star Trek stuff. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so you like sci-fi as well? Oh, I love sci-fi and fantasy and anything that just shows humanity in a better light or it's just stories. I love storytelling. Um, I've always been a big reader, especially before before I got so sick I had to stop reading so much. I would go through like half the library in my school every year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. I'm not that much into reading myself, but wow. That's impressive. Yeah. I, I used to read a lot of books, but these days it's a bit more sporadic and I like audiobooks more. I like listening to people. I, I like how, you know, you've mentioned being creative and creating things and even like doing things that you love with storytelling as well as, you know, like gaming as well and playing games with your partner. Um, because like at the moment as a social enterprise, you know, we, we're always exploring ways to engage and pretty much mm. to tell stories about, about health as you already know, because that's what Silent Elephant Project is about. And um, yeah, so at the moment we, we're working on, uh, on a game, developing a game. Nothing big, nothing, just simple 2D kind of game, but, you know, uh, tackling um, a health theme. Um, and then try, yeah, trying to see how that can then be something that, you know, people can engage with and hopefully be able to connect with. So we're still in early phases, so I would definitely, you know, if you're interested uh, yeah, keeping in the loop great. with that. So obviously I know you've touched a lot on you know how you've coping so far and how you manage your symptoms. One question I was curious to find out is, you know, what do you miss doing before diagnosis? Wow, I, it's not even a question I can fully answer because for me it was such a gradual decline um, that I've just lost things over the years. It's not so much I've had you know suddenly I had the diagnosis and suddenly everything has to change and things just changed so slowly I would say it's actually been my brain I miss thinking <laughs> I miss being able to communicate complex topics and holding intellectual discussions with people like because <laughs> possibly ADHD I actually have a hyper focus on World War II at the moment which is great for my partner because he's autistic so oh, wow. for him we, we our energies feed off each other. He's also ADHD, so we both have our own hyperfixations, and he's quite an intellectual person himself. So we, we have uh, intellectual discussions, and he he understands that I am very slow in the head. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like he's uh, he's more patient. <laughs> he's a very patient guy. Yes, uh, that's brilliant. Another question I, I was thinking about really was you know with regards to. New Zealand, obviously I'm in the UK, but you know, uh, how much awareness do you think there is on MECFS in, in New Zealand? Before COVID, absolute none. Our government doesn't even recognize this as a disability. Wow. You are more likely to get on disability if you say you have depression or anxiety than if you have chronic fatigue syndrome. There is no help. There are no clinics. If you have chronic pain, you get sent to the pain clinic and they will tell you to do GET. I have been told that wheelchairs are more disabling because, you know, we should be trying to walk at every opportunity. So uh, I am self-funding at some point a wheelchair because obviously I can't get one on the public system. But to keep yourself mobile, do you have to use, I don't know, what, what are you using to help you move about? Nothing at the moment, but I'm planning on at some point heading over to a local mobility centre um, to have a look at 
at first walkers. I'm also planning on get, I'm planning on collecting every uh, mobility aid okay. just because um, you never know when you're going to need one or what suits what situation. I know a lot of people have found benefits from walking sticks, so I'm hoping to get one of a fancy fancy one at some point. But yeah, obviously like a a, a stroller walker kind of thing really looking forward to that because the whole being able to take a seat with me just feels amazing <laughs> and then wheelchair uh i am a bigger person so i have complicated issues in regards to that i've got to find things that are rated for my weight and from our conversation so far i know we've talked before but like even within this conversation it's it's impressive the fact that you know you you, you seem to have a positive outlook this has actually been a common thing people have said to me is just how bubbly I am and how things seem to, I'm like like how I'm like a duck you know water just goes off my back mm. but it's taken a lot of therapy and a lot of growing up and a lot of internal work for me to <laughs> develop a stable personality but also work on my anxiety to the point where I can I can be as fluid as I am because I do have generalized anxiety disorder, although okay. these days it's more like generalized doctor anxiety disorder. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't get anxiety very often these days and legitimately most of the anxiety I have and, and panic I have these days comes when I have to deal with the doctor. Trauma, huh? So post what motivates you? <laughs> it's been something I've thought about a lot. Um, because I am such a, a bubbly person, as much as I love to admit it, I am an extrovert. <laughs> um, I guess, I guess, just because I am such a bubbly person, I find it, I find it easy to say to myself, "Tomorrow is a new day." Maybe I won't be in much pain, as much pain tomorrow. Okay. Maybe I'll feel better tomorrow. But also because I do have a good support network with my, my partner and my cat and then his family and my family, even though we, have, we both have very tiny families. It's, mm. you know, I have a solid base to work on and a stable living situation and, you know, we've got money. And so that, that helps me keep a really positive, and I say really positive, I mean sort of, you know, a generally positive view of things obviously um, the world really sucks um, but even if just the last two years since COVID um, just remembering that you know in a, in a few years there might actually be a drug for us there might be some kind of treatment that can give us even 50% of our lives back that really motivates me to just see tomorrow through mm. you know that would be amazing wouldn't it because i remember when um you know when the whole long covid thing was coming out oh i was I, so mad about it <laughs> I, and i remember having a conversation obviously and just like seeing different forums and the groups i'm involved in by the emmy community you know they were pretty happy in that finally we you know people they, people will get to understand why funding is needed to figure out, you know, what's going on with people having ME, you know, more research because there was poor funding for research. But then seeing the long COVID aspect of things, 
suddenly there was so much uh, funding available for that research. So then the obviously the the positive take on it was that you know if they find something with regards to long COVID, then it means something with ME is closer because they're pretty much almost the same, if not the same, because some people are being diagnosed with long COVID, they're not being diagnosed as, as ME, and that's what's happening as well here in the UK. The numbers are really high, people with long COVID, mm. and the numbers of people being diagnosed or being told it's actually ME is high, because most of the things, they're pretty much from similar kind of like, you know, after, like for myself, it was after a viral infection, so I could never recover. So then my body is always in a state of, you know, trying to cope and trying to think that you know it's, I'm still infected and you know so my immune system is compromised so you know it's just from those kind of like elements of similarities with long COVID but then we know very well the ME symptoms are way longer and way more complex but then that's what's happening as well with long COVID they're beginning to discover that okay the complexity of it pretty much is yeah people cannot be as normal as before for most people anyway mm -hmm. it the thing with COVID and long COVID and ME is that all of these disorders, and I'm including things like uh, EDS and you know, mast cell activation, it's all Venn diagrams within Venn diagrams within a giant hell circle. <laughs> I like that. There's, uh, there's so many similarities that I think, you know, it, it's one of the things that's annoyed me about the research is that often and I know they're doing it because it's good scientific practice but there's a lot of research already out there that they can build on but sometimes it feels like they're just repeating the same studies <laughs> mm. but you know it's good scientific practice to do it anyway because from science's perspective they still don't know if these are the same things but it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy because there's been no research on ME they don't know what this is why would they know what mm -hmm. long COVID is if they don't even know what this is you know so our government praised the world over um, for our COVID response, actually started loosening restrictions. Um, vaccines weren't mandatory in, for a long time. Then they did become mandatory and then we started using vaccine passes and we did have restrictions and you know face masks inside and on public transport and blah, 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 blah. But slowly over time and whether or not it's because we actually had our version of the Canadian trucker protest. They occupied uh, the grounds of Parliament, and because in New Zealand our capital okay. building is um, actually in the middle of our capital city where I live, they spread out into the surrounding streets and absolutely paralysed that end of the business district of the city. Mm -hmm. um, it was huge here. Um, so I suspect there's been some relaxation on rules just oh, wow. because of the anti-mandate protests. And I find it hella disgusting. But um, because of that, uh, Omicron has absolutely just torn through this country. We were at a point where... I know we, it's very likely we did have... Um, more cases than this but you know like we were at points where we were having 20,000 cases a day and there are 5 million New Zealanders so that's a lot of people and we have problems in this country with poverty especially amongst uh, minority groups um, okay. and just 
oh my yeah. god <laughs> we've got housing crises and our public health system is falling apart my sister's a midwife so um my mother she's also a healthcare worker but um my my sister came home the other day and i don't i don't live with my family but this is what my mum told me and she asked my sister how was her day at work and my sister was like do not ask me about my day at work so that's how it's going over here <laughs> i was actually going to ask you what what's it like in terms of the care system in, in new zealand yeah so um well you know our hospital rates okay. are low um long covid is about to destroy this country and we have nothing in place for it the ministry of health is finally researching into long covid and like figuring out what they can do they've had the ma groups like they've known like ma was never on the vaccine uh, exemption list i've had three vaccine shots and i will not be getting any more because the last one just I had symptoms for three months afterwards, like my chronic pain became 24-7, I had tinnitus 24-7, my, I'm, I'm too severe for that. I've, uh, um, I've also had three, uh, so it's the first one and then the second one and then the booster. I don't know, if they ask me to take another one, I'm a bit like re- reluctant because I'm, right now I'm trying to figure out whether the third shot kind of like, you know, what impact it's had on me right now, don't get me wrong, I've not really felt anything obvious negatively mm. but it's just like i'm just trying to pay attention what's happening because it's all about boosting the immune system but then because i know my immune system is already you know on a weak side or compromised rather and um i'm just trying to understand pretty much like you know what's going on because mm. i've been struggling i've been having like mini relapses but then i also know my life around as well i've just been cutting back being less active as i was before just just being be, being careful and like you mentioned earlier you know pacing yourself and just you wake up in the morning or evening <laughs> depending where you are <laughs> you know you <laughs> you wake up and then you gauge right how how is today gonna go but then you still make sure you know you put safeguards in place so that's been my approach but yeah but you know in terms of improvements if any that is you know what do you think uh, will be needed in the care system and the public knowledge of MECFS oh god for you guys in New Zealand anyway <laughs> in the UK we've had updated guidelines on uh, MECFS so that's been that's been better than nothing that's what needs to happen here right now we still use get uh, it, I have looked this up and I have read the documents right now they are treating people with long COVID with GET and CBT in this country. Right. Just to explain, just to explain to the listeners who may not know, um, are you happy to share what GET stands for? G-E-T. Yeah. Uh, it's graduated exercise therapy. It is the uh, notion that with time and exercise and gradual increases, you can exercise your way back into health. Basically, it's incredibly ableist and completely goes against the science and the study that started it uh, was bad science and has been uh, proven to be unscientific and has been debunked multiple times but uh, it has taken years for public health bodies to actually admit that it's not good science and not good medical treatment because the psych lobby is just so strong and the stigma that this is in our heads and oh we don't want to get better and oh we're just afraid of exercise 
like I wasn't an athlete but I was a pretty active person mm. you know I lived on a farm I would go walking over the hills like all the time I was always out exploring I didn't want to be at home um, I still don't want to yeah. be at home yeah. <laughs> I, I love experiencing the world and I love watching people and it's like the notion that this is in our heads because we're afraid of the outside world or we're afraid of exercise it's just completely nonsense but it's done a lot of harm because ME is one of those illnesses where because of what it is we don't make energy and when you don't have energy and you're doing things that require energy you are harming yourself and this is something I'm having to explain to my mother because Mm -hmm. she just got a diagnosis of uh, quote unquote some strain of chronic fatigue unquote oh wow yeah um, unfortunately it seems Emmy is genetic in my family um, it's I would say a 99.9% chance my grandmother had it so <laughs> for me to also have it were there stories that um, she shared with you no um, because they my mother and her never knew what was going on with her there were never any answers she died undiagnosed but from just my experiences watching her and then watching myself and then talking to my mum about her I'm just like this woman had everything she had pots as well I had to explain to my mum that when she went when when my grandmother ended up in hospital uh, with a heart rate of 200 beats per minute I was like that's pots Hmm. it's always been pots my grandmother was not an active person because her body just couldn't do it so I'm just like this just does not feel like a coincidence you know this feels like there is something in our genetics that is predisposing us to this and um, like we well like we said earlier you know it's it's one of those things where with more um, research being done now you can only hope and I like how you put it at least half of it um, we can be progress at least half of the progress um, Speaking of that, uh, I actually just did a survey in New Zealand. Um, there are a few people in here researching ME and long COVID, and I did a study okay. on genetics for them and what illnesses my family has. So I actually have to email the uh, doctors behind it and be like, well, guess what, guys? My mum got a diagnosis. <laughs> Because, as I said in the survey to them, I was like, I suspect my mum has ME, just because of what she's been telling me, how she's, like, always tired and, you know, never gets restful sleep or, you know, because she's also got, like, Reynolds and she's got issues with her heart and she's had, like, like fake heart attacks because of the, she's got angina as well, so there's vascular issues all throughout my family and, you know, it makes sense because I've got POTS. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so I've just been like, yeah, yeah, I knew this was coming. And I still uh, I still have not processed it. Do you find that you've been more of support to her? Or is are you there for each other? Since I've been able to be open... Oh, God, so I'm, I will not be sending my mum a link to this podcast. <laughs> so we've always had a strange relationship. Um, and whether or not, you know, what roles... It could be with BPD in our family, um, because I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if my mum was also borderline, because I am very, very similar to my mother. Um, and so we just always had a very conflicted relationship growing up, and 
my depression and my internal struggles came out through anger and violence and so I was a very violent child and a very violent uh, teenager and I wasn't able to actually work on any, any of the issues I had because my family is my number one trigger. I still to this day and I've been in therapy for years have nightmares about my family about them saying things to me or getting into fights I've become very very avoidant of anger and and violence um, in my personal life um, I don't like to argue with people I find it extremely distressing so since I've been able to work on myself in that regard it meant that I was actually able to enforce boundaries with my mum like you know sometimes she'll call me I used to pick up the phone every time but now sometimes I don't you know I, I talk to her when I can talk to her when, when I've got the cognitive energy because you know communication is so draining and it's hard to explain things to her sometimes but since she has so she is a um which is not a good job for her now, given the EME diagnosis. She's a, uh, a care worker, so she does like home care for people. Um, she tends to specialize in the elderly. Okay. Um, so she'll like vacuum and like give them showers and all that kind of stuff. Um, so my family's always been involved in helping others. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, then there's me, the, the disabled one, but I do a lot of community stuff and and then, and then our little sister our little sister is a supermarket manager <laughs> so there's me there's me the cripple my sister the midwife my sister the supermarket manager <laughs> oh i love my family but you know what um because i was gonna ask you that as well so you might as well just talk about it now you want to share about you know uh, the groups that you created like the one on discord and all these other communities you're involved in just sharing <laughs> Yeah, fun it's, fact. It's, imp it's impressive, you know, that you're able to do all these things and from being, you know, indoors, but it's, you're still managing to connect. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I've actually used Discord for many years because um, obviously with gaming, so I was playing World of Warcraft and before I became severe, I was able to raid. So I had a guild and um, I wasn't the guild leader or <laughs> an officer or anything. I've done that before and never again. Um, I'm just a simple healer in the back. I heal and then I go to sleep. That's, that's what I do. <laughs> um, so I was always, always on Discord, but then uh, one day on Instagram, I found a link to a Discord server for ME called the Sloth Enclosure. And I was like, oh, this seems cool. So I joined. And uh, a few months later, um, the the admin at the time, Helmut, he uh, he became severe himself and had to step back. And I was like, I can take over. I've I've done Discord groups. I know moderation and admin and all that kind of stuff. So that's how I am now the overpossum of the sloth enclosure. Um, it was just sort of I just stepped up to the plate, really. That's impressive. And thanks for adding me to the group as well. I'm looking forward, you know, like finding out more about different people. We can put a link to the Discord uh, in the notes or whatever if 
Yeah, definitely. definitely. You can even say it out if it's if you think it's sayable, but we'll, we'll definitely put the link. Yeah, no. <laughs> we'll unfortunately, we're not at the point where we get a special a special link. One day, maybe. <laughs> I One know. Day. <laughs> I know. So, um, you know, um, how do you see the future? Honestly, like I said before, what is really getting through for me is just, you know, having such a good support network and this drug, basically. The BCA triple zero seven or one or I don't even remember what it is. I've worked a lot on this. I'm a big proponent of um, acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, I've done most of the therapies. I've done CBT, DBT, a general mixture of CBT and just general therapy, but also my uh, psychologist is uh, trained in ACT. I do a lot with her. A core component of it is a lot of pain we experience comes from unrealistic expectations that others either put on us or we put on ourselves or we let ourselves become consumed yeah like let's, let's take this COVID drug for example like you know if, if it's all you can think about if it's all you want like it's actually quite a toxic and negative thing to experience I hate being disabled I hate this illness I hate everything about it but I accept this is my path in life this is a part of me whether or not you can argue, you know, oh, don't make it your personality, but unfortunately it does become become our personality because of how much it changes how we interact with the world. And being able to just accept the shitty card I was dealt in life has just meant I feel so free, especially mentally, especially with BPD, because it BPD is, it's... You develop it as you are a child, as a child, and as you grow up. It's a way of interacting with the world, but it's a negative way. It's harmful behaviors. It's toxic behaviors. Commonly, people who develop it have experienced some kind of abuse or trauma. Um, mine was all emotional, mental stuff. Now, quickly, um, just say one more time what B BPD stands for. Uh, yeah. Borderline personality disorder, which is just as stigmatized because it's not so much that we're unstable. <laughs> it's that we don't have good coping mechanisms. So the illness just does not have a good name. And of course, it is labeled as a personality disorder, which immediately carries a stigma because, you know, oh, your personality is wrong. No, there's actually nothing wrong with our personalities. We just we cope with the world in a very different way. And what it leads to is a lot of that black and white thinking, that this or that, or very extreme. You are so desperate to avoid abandonment mm. and just negative emotions. And all you want to do is just feel love. Like we feel emotions, like normal people feel emotions from like zero to a hundred. For us, it's like a zero to a million, which makes dealing with ME very fun when you have to weigh in that emotions are a cognitive drain and therefore trigger PM. So post-exertional malaise. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, that's a big one. I mean, I, I experience that one a lot, and you know, it's whenever I find myself doing an activity or just committing myself to something, I'm so good at predicting it now, when in terms of the the impact of it, that I have to be very careful what I end up doing. So if I find myself, I don't know, going for yeah, 
a long walk today. And then later on, during my walk, I'll be like, oh, shoot, I think I've ever done this. <laughs> and then I can already tell how long it should take me. But obviously, I try not to think too much about it, but you're right. It's all about being aware. Also, you are you are really mm-hmm. new in your journey. Um, I've lived with this for over 10 years. So for me, a lot of what I do is actually just a system that I've developed based on years of experiments and adapting. You will get better at it. You will absolutely get better at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been over 10 years as well for me, just over 10 years. And um, it's all about learning and just learning and learning pretty much. And I like the fact that, you know, you what you said earlier about the fact that, you know, you get to accept your new reality, but then you find ways of coping your day to day. Yep. And I, I, I always say, I always share this, but you know, I remember when um, uh, the doctors told me, you know, that the problem with ME CFS is that you know some people get better, but some don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to personally take took on the assumption of, you know, if it takes me a long time to get better, what can I do every day to make sure my life is worthwhile? Yep. And um, yeah, fast forward, you know, to cut the long story short, um, I discovered that being creative was very powerful. Yes, having, ha- having having a great supportive um, network around you from families and just and every other, uh, whether it's friends or even if it's like some form of healthcare provision, whatever it is, it's it's amazing. But discovering different tools that help you go a long way. And yeah, here I am today. You know. Um, I'm feeling a bit better, but I'm still way off uh, from where I was before, and I'm still way off from where I would like to be. But then it's back to what you said, you know, when you hold on to certain expectations and then you don't meet them, you end up weighing yourself down and then, you know, it becomes a struggle. Yeah, you have to learn to set yourself free, especially mm-hmm. with disability. You know, you, you're told how disabled people look how disabled people do things how they interact with the world you know when you think of disabled person especially pre-disability you think Mm. oh someone in a wheelchair someone that can't walk and that's not at all the experience of disability disability is an entire circle spectrum just blob of experiences and ways of adapting and coping with the world I love the disability community. And just like how, you know, more and more people are learning the fact that disability can also be invincible, you know. Um, Yeah. And that's a a beauty, I guess, of of life, that, you know, you get to learn these things and being aware of it. Yeah, getting ME and all my mental health issues and my health issues in general and just, and all that, I've developed a real view of the world that... I appreciate the very, very small things a lot more. I will look at my Mm. cat and cry because I love and appreciate her existence in my life so much. Do you know what? Uh, It's funny you shared that uh, because even for me, when I look at my son, he's 15 months old and I see the innocence and how just the little things, he gets so excited, you know, and I'm there thinking, you know what? You can just simplify life like a kid. So much of this world weighs on us, especially with ME, and sometimes it feels like you have to take on the weight of the world. And we we can hate having ME in this this illness, but there is a real perspective you can gain from it. Yeah, I just appreciate life so much more. I never appreciated my health until it was gone, you know? 
or even my mental health, you know. I never appreciated mm. what it was like to think of myself as neurotypical. But, you know, as soon as I realized mm. I'm neurodiverse, you know, it was it just changed so much of how I saw myself and the world and the experience of being What human. would you say to your younger self? You will persevere. Pretty much been all I've done in my life with all the shit that's happened in my family and my health and interpersonal relationships and all that, you know. <laughs> There's been times when I've wanted to give up on life and I've come very close to it and yet I still think tomorrow is a new day. Beautiful. So deep. And you know what? And that's it. Um, yeah, I'm done with questions. But last but not least, I always put this in, which is, you know, is there anything in particular you want to share? You know, are there any projects or you want someone to take away today? I think the thing I want people to take away, like, obviously, I can be like, oh, look at my Instagram. Well, my Instagram is full of cross-stitching cats. So if you want that, obviously, it'll be in the link. Can you say the name of your Instagram? It's impossible. So it's like uh, impossible, but possible. Because I'm funny and I like puns. <laughs> you, you can spell it out as well if you want. <laughs> So I M P O S S U M B L E, and then uh, on Twitter it's the same, but with an underscore. Yeah. But um, what I really want people to take away, especially for people with ME, but even if someone's you know doesn't have ME or if they're abled, it's just um, the acceptance and commitment therapy. I think, I think even healthy able-bodied people need to do it because it is incredibly powerful even even dialectical behavioral therapy which is the bpd treatment you learn to operate with a more fluid view of the world and your emotions and you validate yourself and i find a lot of issues come from being invalidated um, and, and learning to validate yourself and your existence and your way of seeing things and and all that kind of stuff. It's so powerful. And just being able to let go of pain. Just accepting things change so changes so much. Crazy times we're living in under the pandemic, I have to say. And um, thanks to POS for sharing her story. I'm always learning something new whenever I have these conversations. But the key highlight from today's conversation myself has been really the emphasis of having a positive attitude. Um, it's helped me come a long way. It's been uh, over 10 years now as I speak today. And being positive has really helped me to manage myself and having a positive outlook and having hope that even if I don't get better tomorrow, but at least I can make sure I enjoy my today and learning how to manage my health condition limitations every day as I work up and just have a feel for it and see how I'm feeling. Um, the support around you is very, very important. Family members and other people, friends, even work colleagues as well. Just wherever you find the support, you have to hang on to that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Do stay in touch with us and looking forward to another episode. <laughs>